I don't know how many of you, uh, hopefully all of you, get an email from Pastor Charles Hug throughout the week, and in that email there's a link to a video that uh, he has put together, and this video is kind of a primer of where we're at on, on, the, his, on the story. Uh, kind of gets you excited about what, what's being discussed. It, if you haven't started, it gets you started on, on the reading. And in this week, uh, he, talk, he made a comment in that video that he's starting to experience a little bit of Old Testament fatigue. And honestly, um, it's not just pastor that's feeling a little Old Testament fatigue. As a matter of fact, earlier this week, my wife Tracy asked me, she said, so what's your sermon going to be about? And I said, well, you know where we're at with this story. Judah falls away from God, and God drops the hammer and disciplines them. And she said, well, that seems like it's the whole Old Testament. Israel messes up, God punishes them. Israel messes up again, God punishes them again. Israel messes up again, God punishes them again. And, you know, I couldn't agree more. It does seem to be a major theme of the Old Testament, doesn't it? It's not just a couple chapters or a couple verses. It, it is a major emphasis in the Old Testament, Israel's sin and God's judgment. But, you know, I feel very convicted that it is very easy to misinterpret why this is being majored on in the Old Testament. Why does it keep coming up, and, 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 and how is it relevant to our lives today? Uh, I'm going to caution you against misinterpreting why this is uh, in the Old Testament all the time. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I misinterpret stuff that I read all the time. Um, as a matter of fact, several years ago, in a rural West Texas town, there was a second grade teacher that was trying to get her students prepared for some type of test. It's probably one of these state-mandated tests that, you know, if the, teacher, if the students don't get all the questions right, well, then you, the teacher, probably didn't do a good job of teaching them, you know, those things. So she prepared a little kind of a pretest, if you will, 20 questions. And one of the questions she asked was, okay, students, name the four seasons and name them in the correct order. Two-thirds of the answers came back dove season, turkey season, quail season, and deer season. You see, they misinterpreted the whole question, the whole question of the season. And it's easy for us to do that. <clears throat> and I think it's easy for us to misinterpret the significance of God's history with Israel, Israel's falling into sin, and God's punishment of sin. And I think one of the reasons that we fall into that trap is we look at the here and now. Okay? Understand that this is a story that goes back 25, 26, 2700 years ago. And if you take the median age or the average age of this congregation, so we've been on this planet for 50, 60, 70 years or less, all we know is the here and now. All we know is a culture of affluence, relative peace, relative prosperity. We live in a culture that the harder we work, the more we'll be rewarded. The reality is, is that hasn't always been the case for society. God has had other plans um, when cultures don't rely on him. Quick recap. We're going to do a quick recap of last week, and then we'll get into this week's lesson. So last week, God dropped the hammer on Israel. Why? Because Israel had had a string of 19 kings that were more concerned about their idols than they were about him. Now, do we blame it on the kings? Not necessarily. None of the, the citizens could have revolted. The citizens could have risen up, 
could have displaced the kings, but they chose not to. And why? They were living in a, a time of affluence, a time of prosperity. Why change the status quo? We're comfortable. We're, we're, we're actually living fairly large, all things considered. Let's not change anything. So they didn't challenge. They didn't challenge what was happening. They allowed the kings to pull the citizens away from God. And toward the end of that time, Israel actually formed an alliance with Assyria and Egypt. Instead of relying on God, they said, we're going to put our faith in an alliance with the other powerhouses of the country. The problem is, is you can't make an alliance outside of God, and particularly with two different countries like Assyria and Egypt. It'd almost be like Canada saying, okay, we're going to align ourselves with the United States. Oh, and we're going to align ourselves with Russia, too. Well, that not going to work, would it? So that basically was God setting the stage to give Assyria the green light for an invasion and basically overtake Israel because of their sin, because of them falling away from God uh, the way they did. And in 721 is when that happened. Now, during that time, Judah was still somewhat aligned with God. Um, if you remember, the Assyrian army was at the gates of Judah after they had conquered Israel. And King Hezekiah went to the Lord and said, Lord, what do I do? Assyria is right at my gates. They're going to overtake us. We can't stop them. What do I do? And God realized that they were leaning on him, and he prevailed. He sent an angel of death, death took out over 185,000 Assyrian uh, soldiers in one night. Something that would, today, by today's standards, be absolutely unheard of. But because of, uh, because of King Hezekiah's faithfulness, it bought Judah some extra time. Now, fast forward into this week's lesson. <clears throat> Have you ever tried to fix something and you only made it worse? See, what God, what God is trying to do is he's trying to establish a people. From the very beginning, he's establishing a people, but he wants the people to look to him, to rely on him, to have a relationship with him. It started in, in the Garden of Eden. The first couple messed it up, remember? And then fast forward a little bit to Noah's time. God said, I, this is an absolute mess. We're going we're gonna to clear out the land. We're going to purge the, the people and start, uh, start all over and through one family. He, he purged, well, he purged the land, he flooded the land, and saved civilization through one family. And, and, and on and on the story goes. But now, um, in, 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 in uh, the 5600 before B.C. time, <clears throat> Judah had been saved, but is still drifting away uh, from God. So, after Hezekiah, we have six kings basically, that, that, that pull away from God. Of those six kings, only one of them even tried, okay? That was King Josiah. Um, King Josiah <clears throat> looked at all the altars, all the pagan things that had been put up in the temple, all around, around that civilization, and, and, and pulled them down. But that still, that still was not enough um, for, for God to spare that society. Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, was basically where things really kind of went south. Manasseh really was the, the beginning of the end for Judah. Um, 
I'm not going to get into some of the things that Manasseh did. Um, if you want to read some of them, Second Kings is where a lot of that, that, that happens. But things basically went downhill very fast in his reign. Um, he had some unspeakable sacrifice uh, practices, um, and he brought altars into altars of worship into the temple, which almost would be like Pastor Chelhog saying, you know, we're going to build a, a, a gold shrine, and we're going to put it right here, and we're going to bring our praises to that gold shrine. Well, there isn't one of us in this auditorium that would say, yeah, that, that, that sounds like a good idea. But that's exactly what Manasseh was doing. He was building altars into the temple where God was to be worshipped and distracting people's attention away in, into, into pagan gods. <clears throat> After Manasseh, the subsequent kings really weren't much better, short of, save Josiah. They, they, they had very brief reigns. Um, most of them were assassinated. And only Josiah tried to turn things around. One of the reasons that Josiah did not successfully turn things around was because even though he pleased God, God could tell the hearts of the people were there to please Josiah and not him. So when Josiah said, take out the altars, take out the, take out the bales, take out the distractions, take all that out, um, the people did that, but they did it out of love from Josiah, not love from their God. God could sense their hearts were still very hardened toward him. One thing to keep in mind, God will not tolerate a wicked society indefinitely. God will not tolerate a wicked society indefinitely. I'm going to turn to Jeremiah chapter 2, and I'll read just a few verses. Jeremiah chapter 2, 4 through 9. This is where God had basically had enough with Judah. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all the clans of Israel, this is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priest did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you, and I will bring charges against your children's children, declares the Lord. So at this point, God had, had clearly had enough. He said, look at what I have done. I brought you out of Egypt. I've taken you out of a desert. I've given you to a fertile land. I've showered you with blessings, and no one remembers that. No one is acknowledging that. Everybody has gone the opposite route. They've gone the route of looking at their idols. And it's almost hard to understand in this point in the Bible, when Judah had seen what happened to Israel, how did they not learn from Israel's mistake? I mean, this was just what Hezekiah's... Uh, 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 turning to God at a time in need bought them probably about 135 years uh, at most. And yet, in a relatively short time span, they all forgot what God had done to Israel. They did not learn that. But I don't want to focus just on the bad news. I, I, I do want to focus on, on some of the good news, too. And one of the things that we see in this part of the story is that God offers some hope. 
And he does that in a couple different ways. Number one, he, he puts out prophets. If you read the, the chapter in the story, it, it, it goes into prophets Jeremiah and the prophets Ezekiel. And he's still wanting us to turn to him. He's still reaching out to the people uh, through Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And see, what these, what these prophets were doing is they're saying to the people, guys, your blinders are up. You don't even know how far we've drifted from God. All they're doing is saying, pull these blinders down just a little bit. Look at, look at what God offers you. One of Jeremiah's themes was, um, should have written this down. He talks about how God offers you water like a spring, from a spring. But you are drinking out of your cisterns, which is an area that collects rainwater, and it gets moldy, and it gets nasty after, after a while. And he's telling these people, you guys are focusing on the nasty. You're focusing on the bad when, you, when you're being given the good. When we lived in Colorado Springs when I was a young boy, um, I would oftentimes, we lived by the Air Force Academy, and, and it was a beautiful area. It was the foothills of the mountains. And I'd oftentimes grab my fishing pole and my tackle box, and there was a couple ponds that had some trout in them. And in those ponds, there was some uh, springs and some creeks that traveled all the way down from the mountains and fed those, they're probably lakes, uh, not ponds. And I would always go hiking up there, sometimes with a friend, sometimes it was by myself with my fishing pole, with my tackle box. Um, and when I was thirsty, the, the water was so cold and clear, I would reach down, cut my hands, and drink some water. Back then, I was probably under 10 years old, and I didn't think of all the waterborne viruses that you probably think of now, but I'll tell you one thing, I never got sick, and it was always refreshing, it was always very cold. I challenge you to look into a cistern and, and, and ask if there was any chance that you would do that with a cistern. Of course you wouldn't. It's nasty water. There's green algae on the top, there's mold in it, and that was what the people were choosing. They were choosing the cistern water over the fresh spring water that, that, that God was offering. That was a theme of one of Jeremiah's uh, uh, talks. But I want to look a little bit at Jeremiah. So here's, here's a guy that if, if I could characterize his ministry with one word, it would be an endurance. He had a 40-year ministry that started at the age of 20. Probably the only one that we can really know on a personal level around here that had a ministry similar to that was Pastor Quan's. I think Pastor had a ministry that lasted about 50 years. I think a ministry that he'll be richly rewarded for in heaven. But there's one big difference between Pastor Quam's time and Jeremiah's time. Pastor Quam preached during a time where people wanted to come and hear the word. Jeremiah preached during a time when no one wanted to hear him. <clears throat> Kings hated the prophets. Kings hated Jeremiah because they were opposed to their policies. Citizens hated the prophets. Citizens hated Jeremiah and Ezekiel because they didn't want to give up the lavish lifestyle they were li living. Why, why, why change? Why tell me that we're doing wrong? Why tell me that i got to give up what I've got? So the prophets like Jeremiah and the prophets like Ezekiel were oftentimes ignored, and oftentimes they were even threatened. And unfortunately, they had to watch king after king after king pull the people away from him. But besides God loving his people enough to give them some last chance to give him a lifeline through the prophets. He also promised to spare them, uh, spare a remnant of them. A, there was a few that were found faithful, and he spared them. <clears throat> and B, he spared a tribe of 
Abraham's and David's because he had promised he'd made a covenant. And remember, a covenant <clears throat> is not like a contract. A contract can be broken by mutual consent. A covenant cannot be broken. He'd made a covenant promise to Abraham and David that he would bring Messiah into the world through their descendants. So he spared some from that promise that he made. I'm going to also read just briefly a couple verses from Ezekiel relative to that. <clears throat> this is found in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 17. Therefore say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I will gather you from the nations and bring you back from the countries where, have you, where you have been scattered, and I will give you back the land of Israel again. So he's telling them that I'm going to take you out of the promised land, but at some point I will bring you back. He is going to spare the people. And then if you jump to chapter 12, verses 15 through 16, they will know that I am the Lord when I disperse them among the nations and scatter them through the countries. But I will spare a few from them from the sword, famine and plague, so that in the nations where they go, they may acknowledge all the detestable practices. Then they will know that I am the Lord. He wanted to have a, a remnant there to tell people what happens when you turn your back to God. So the reality is <clears throat> this timeline in Israel is of utmost significance, and that's why, that's why it's majored on in the Old Testament. If we were to say that <clears throat> because all we know is prosperity, is relative peace, if we were to say that we don't understand the relevance of, of, of this timeline is to say that God has changed. Or it's to say that God has softened his heart towards sin. And it's one thing that's very clear. God has not changed. He is still trying to establish a people today just as he was 2,500 years ago. He's not changed one bit, and he's not softened his stand on sin. He has to punish sin. He has to purge the sinners. But he is throwing out a lifeline. And, 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 and I don't know who the prophets are today, but I do know that God has lifted some people up um, who have brought out the truth, and it's up to us to, to, to hear that and, and to listen to that. A question I'd like to land on is how tolerant of sin are you? You know, it's easy to say, man, how did Israel keep messing up? But then we've got to take the mirror and look at our, ourselves and say, how many times have I messed up? It's easy to point the finger. It's easy to, 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 to cast blame. But the reality is, is we're really no better. And fortunately for us, we're in a time where the hammer has not dropped. He is still calling for us and looking to us to come back to him and to have a relationship with him. With that, I'd like to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> Let us not forget the lessons that Israel had to learn. Let us not downplay the significance of turning our backs on you to living in sin, ignoring sin, and accepting sin. And Lord, we see it all around us. We see it <clears throat> in our politicians. We see it in our media. We see it in our culture in every facet. And Lord, it's forgive us for becoming hardened to it. Forgive us for becoming callous to it and sometimes ignoring it and accepting it. Lord, 
Show us the people like Jeremiah. Show us the people like Ezekiel that are asking us to recognize the sin, to turn to you, and to develop a relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for this day. We pray that this, is, that this day is honoring to you. And, that, and, 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 and Lord, we just pray for your blessings on this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.